Hello and welcome to this week's Standing With Refugees podcast uh, and thank you for joining us. It's been a bit of a break uh, for about two or three weeks so I'm glad we're back and thank you for listening in. I'm Paul Hutchings, one of the founders of Refugee Support Europe and this week I am talking to Richard Williams who is the chair of Sanctuary on Sea, a Brighton-based organisation um, raising awareness about refugees and helping and supporting refugees locally. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that, Richard, what you do at Sanctuary? Yeah, thanks, Paul, for having me on your podcast. Great to have you. Um, so Sanctuary on Sea is the Brighton branch of the City of Sanctuary movement, mm. which is all about creating a welcoming culture to people who come to the, to the UK, to Brighton, mm. because they have to. Not because they choose to, because they have to. Because, mm. because they are being persecuted for, basically, for being who they are mm. in their country of origin. Um, and around the country, the, the hundred-odd City of Sanctuary groups do hundred. about that. Mm. Um, it's been going, I think, 11, 11 years now. There are about 100 groups, and they all do this in, a very, in very different ways. Mm. And because we're almost all volunteers, mm. um, I think there's two, two and a half paid, paid jobs at the national level mm. in the coordinating uh, organisation. Um, Otherwise, pretty much everyone is a volunteer. And because of that, um, each group has its own identity and does its own things, depending very much of the, on the interests and the skills of the people involved. Mm. So, for example, uh, like many groups, uh, we focus, one of the, our focuses is on, on, on schools. And that's partly because we have Angie Lynn, who is a very dynamic and active retired teacher, Great. who just take, has taken that and run with it. And now we have about 15 schools in Brighton, including um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we awarded um, a, city, a school, a sanctuary status to West Hove Infants. Great. So it's our first infant school, mm. which we said, this is a, a school of sanctuary. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean that those, the schools that we, we give this award to all uh, are receiving large numbers of refugee children, not at all. Mm. It means that they've looked at their curriculum and thought, how can we adapt the curriculum, what can we do in our school within our normal activities that makes our school somewhere that's a welcoming place. Mm. And if we're welcoming generally, we're probably going to be welcoming to refugees. Or conversely, if we make it so that if we're welcoming to refugees, then we're probably going to be welcoming to everyone. Mm. Great. I think uh, schools are fertile ground for some of this work, aren't they? I know that um, uh, Downs Junior held a Christmas concert for us. They're two years running now. Um, to uh, raise money and awareness. Um, and the kids had created their own songs as well about refugee stories. Uh, really moving and touching stuff. I mean, so many of the schools are doing fantastic work. And Downs Junior is a great school doing great work with, ref with refugees. It hasn't yet applied to us to be recognised as a school of sanctuary. Yeah. Please <laughs> tell them. Because we know that they do great work. Yeah. Well, we know, like, for example, Van Dien School, mm -hmm. in the secondary school, does great work with... with uh, um, Again, raising awareness about refugees, but um, hasn't asked us to recognise it as a school or sanctuary. And, and it's just nice to have that sort of growing network of schools who are then able to share share ideas with it, with each other about what they do. I mean, a really just nice a small idea that one school had was that this was a primary school. Mm -hmm. If there's a new child turns up during the year, and often you know refugee family won't arrive in September, it could be some time in the year. Uh, if a new child turns up, then the whole class will write their, that child 
and their family a welcoming letter. Oh, that's lovely. It's nice. No, yeah. It doesn't have to be a refugee child. It could be any child. Mm. But so, again, I think what, kind of what's good for refugees tends to be good for everyone mm. and vice versa. Mm. Yes, and I think, um, I mean, that point that you made right at the beginning there about this is something, you know, for people who have to come here, they don't have any choice. Mm. It's not to be underestimated how important that welcome is. The other day there was a debate organised by a, a young uh, refugee uh, in Brighton which had three or, f- three or four refugee speakers and I asked the question, so what made you feel welcome? Mm. And it was really interesting how, what, how small the things were that made them feel welcome. Mm. It was being invited to um, a picnic huh. by a, a couple of English guys yeah. or just being smiled at. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. really small things. So we can all do it. Yeah. We can all make people feel welcome. Yeah. It also makes me think, why aren't we doing more? Yeah. How many, do you know how many refugees we have in Bryson? Now, that's a really good question, and it's always a very difficult one to answer. Now, the council's just done a, um, a big exercise, a mig- an international migrants' needs assessment, which oh, has taken them 18 good for them. months. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think we're only the second council in the country to have done it. Mm. Get a, a picture of the migrant population, including refugees, but not only refugees. Uh-huh. Obviously, that's one of the first questions. How many migrants, how many refugees? And it's Where a very... Are from? And yeah. where are they from? Yeah. It's a very difficult one to answer. Mm. Uh, and for refugees particularly, it's very difficult because, you know, refugee status, you know, people's immigration status changes. Yeah. So you might um, arrive um, from a country that you've had to flee and you might apply for asylum, you might get refugee status. But then 10 years later, Five, ten, five, five years or more later, you might then apply for British citizenship. Mm. So there's quite a large community here in Brighton, say the uh, Sudanese who arrived in the 1990s, mm-hmm. who um, would not necessarily count themselves as refugees because legally, technically, now they're now British citizens. Mm. They may have come as refugees. Yeah, 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 good point. And there are others, for example, um, there's quite a large number of Iranians who came shortly after the fall of the Shah, mm. um, in 1979 mm. and many of them very wealthy and came and set up businesses here mm. um, and did again may not come a, and applied for asylum mm. so I might co- consider that a refugee community mm. they might not yeah of course and so do you count if you're saying how many refugees do we have in the, in the city mm. it's a very large Jewish community yeah okay yeah of course and I, the other day I did a, a talk to you know uh, an elderly Jewish uh, lunch club mm. and I said you know when when did you or your families come here and interestingly most of them didn't come in the 1930s which you might expect mm. but many of them had, had come at the turn of the 20th century 1900 around then just before or just after at the time with the great pogroms in Eastern Europe. Mm. So I said, well, you're a refugee community. And they hadn't really thought of it like that, many of them. Some of them did, but many of them didn't. <laughs> so how many refugees or how many refugee communities are there in Brighton is actually a very difficult question to answer. Mm. The easy thing, the easy answer is to say there was a, a small number that came on the Syrian Vulnerable Persons Resettlement oh, yeah. Programme. You may remember that a couple of years ago, David Cameron committed to bringing 20,000 Syrians into the country over a five-year period. That's still running, isn't it? And it's still running. And it's still on track, I I believe, nationally. Yeah. Um, So, in fact, the first thing that we did uh, when we set up as um, 
sanctuary on sea was to say to the council, would you like to be considered uh, a city of sanctuary? And they said, yes, of course we would. And they said, well, would you like to take some Syrians on the vulnerable ski- uh, person scheme? Um, and they said, love to, but we can't, mm. uh, because there, aren't, there isn't enough accommodation. We have mm. a housing crisis. And so we said, well, we get that. that there, is a, there is a housing crisis in Brighton uh, in terms of social housing, and the rents are very high too, so it's very difficult to afford rents mm. if you're on, um, on housing benefit, as you know, Syrians arriving on that scheme are likely to be initially. But we said, let's go together and see if there are any landlords out there who are willing to take less than the market rent in order to to provide sanctuary for um, people fleeing Syria. Uh, And uh, so together with the council, we put the word out. And so we do know that now we do have 10 families in the city, uh, who uh, Syrian families who came on on that scheme, who have been brought to the UK Mm. uh, because they knew, or the government knew, that they had a home for them in Brighton. Mm. I mean, that that sounds great that there's 10 families here. There's a bit, there's a part that my heart sinks when I hear that as well. You know, when you look at the numbers across the world. Oh, yes. Why aren't we doing more? Of course. It's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And, and... Um, I think you know the UK government would put would would point to the large amount of money that it puts in development assistance and the humanitarian aid. Um, yeah, but that's only one part of the story. And as you say, we take in terms nationally, the UK takes very few refugees, mm. relatively few on that on that um, that Syrian program, mm. twenty thousand. Yeah. It's still pretty small. It's it's good, but it, it, they, we could do be doing a lot better. But also, we do everything we possibly can as a country to prevent refugees from getting here. Yeah, um, we have either individually or collectively with the EU, we uh, have found all sorts of ways in which to shirk our responsibility under the Refugee Convention. Because I think the best example for me for that one is moving our border to Calais. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and, moving it back to Calais. Yeah. And that was the main reason in 2003 why that, that, that deal was done with France, was mm. because the government knew that if asylum seekers actually got to the UK border in the UK, mm. then they would have the right to have their claim heard, and if they were refugees, they wouldn't be sent back to where they came from. Mm. Um, and so that was the main outcome of closing down the, the, the what was called the Songat camp, which mm. was a a Red Cross reception centre funded by the French government for humanitarian reasons. Mm. You've been working in um, the... Uh, do you say the refugee industry? I, I, I wouldn't... <laughs> There's a whole new emerging area of academic research that talks about the refugee industry, but yeah. they would, I think they would... That they wouldn't talk about NGOs or charities or voluntary groups as being part of that. I don't know. They're thinking more like... Um, the privatisation of border controls, uh-huh. about the deals that are, you know, the uh, contracts are done with with big multinational country uh, companies like G4S to run the, um, reception centres. Mm. The way that um, uh, if you have, if you apply for a visa to the UK abroad, it, it's done by a pri- the assessment is done initially by a private company. Yeah. Um, there's also it's, it, there is a whole. whole Migration industry, border control industry, right. um, the people that make the fences, the the people that train the the dogs, the people, yeah. the people that run the reception centres, the people that, that build the satellites that track that track people crossing the Mediterranean, 
There is a massive industry. Okay. It's yeah. worth billions. Right. Uh, we spend billions on keeping people out of the UK. Yeah. People who are fleeing for their lives. Yeah. That's what we spend our money on. Um, I wouldn't like to be considered to be part of that. Good to hear. But what were you doing before you... Well, I mean, which you currently, currently still do as part of Sanctuary on Sea when it comes to working with refugees. I suppose working... I've been working with refugees or on refugee, mainly on refugee policy, mm. um, government, UK government and European refugee policy, mm. since 1999. Before that, I was a television journalist. Mm. I, mean, that's, I think over the last 20 years, there's mm. been a, a growing industry that's developed or, uh, out of UK, European international policies which are about keeping refugees where they are mm. and not letting them move. Mm. Um, and I think that has developed over the last 20 years. And in parallel to, with, with that, how do you see people's attitudes changing in, in Britain, for example, towards refugees and migrants? Well, I think the public attitudes is a very complicated area about mm. migration but uh, because the attitudes sort of swing to and fro for different categories and one moment it's the the asylum seekers who are the bad people mm. in, in the public mind and then the next it may be East European migrants and the next you know there's always mm. a scapegoat mm. for certain parts of the media certain politicians I think and they whip up um, public antipathy towards certain groups mm. um, to re towards refugees themselves I think what's I suppose the positive thing is when you get um the right kind of media coverage or a lot of media coverage about the latest crisis, um, whether that's the Kosovan crisis in the late uh, mm. 90s or the current Syrian crisis, then you see a real outpouring of sympathy mm. um, by the British public. Mm. I remember way back in 1999 when there was this, the Kosovan evac the evacuation, I was working for the British Refugee Council at the time, the Refugee Council, and uh, when the first flight was due into, to, uh, I think it was Leeds Airport, we were quite worried because mm. um, there was a large crowd of people had gathered outside the airport. And we were thinking, mm, yeah. even back then, there was real worry about antipathy, pub, you know, negative public attitudes mm. towards refugees. What should happen? But when the when the Kosovans emerged from the airport, these people outside put up banners saying "Welcome, oh, welcome lovely. to the UK." Yeah. So, I think you can never under, underestimate the capacity of the British public mm. to sympathise, mm. to understand why some people do have to come here and why we do have to welcome them. Yeah. I mean, my, my experience has been that it's really divided people. So we, I mean, you see, I mean, you know, for example, the volunteers that we that we see in Greece. I mean, and and we, we did a, we do talks around the country as well. And seeing those people who are sympathetic, I mean, they really feel strongly that they want to help. And then, unfortunately, come across many of these people, but do see quite a lot of their comments online or in the papers who have this very extreme hostility towards them. And it does seem to be a very polarizing issue. That's interesting what you say about um, how that changes towards different groups over time. Mm. And I think, I, mean, I, I do think it's, it's such a political area and I think you do get politicians and journalists who exploit those public attitudes. Mm. 
they exploit people's fears, they exploit people's feelings of being hard done by by the system. Mm. And it's convenient, I think, to say, to point people in the direction of migrants or refugees mm. when there are when the NHS isn't being funded properly, when schools are, are have got school sizes, class sizes are too big, when mm. people are waiting to, to, to see the doctor. Mm. It's too easy for the people who, who are responsible for the for making those systems work to mm. encourage people to think Oh, it's the fault of the migrants, mm. which is nonsense. Yeah, because purely on the, I mean, I, I think it's not something an argument that will convince many of the people that you're talking about. But purely at an econ- economic level, migrants and refugees contribute more than they take out of the system. Mm. So, if there aren't enough school places, well, that means someone's not putting the money at the right place. Mm. They're, they're making mm. <laughs> someone in charge is making. A, a choice about where the, their economic contribution is is being spent. So it's not their fault. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think all the evidence points towards that, and I just don't quite know why, as a nation, this argument isn't being made strongly enough. Or we, uh, I mean, that those of us, those like me, on this side of the argument, it appears to be losing it. Yeah, it is. It is very depressing. Yeah, um, but it is also cyclical. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's going to get better. Well, you know. <laughs> Maybe we have to wait for the next crisis, you know, or the next time the we get the real media focus again on why people are coming. Because I think when many British people, when they when they really understand why someone is here, then they sympathise, and it's often not the people they know. <laughs> if they know someone, they'll say, "Well, no, they're all right. Yeah, my neighbour's all right." Or hear that all the time. Or the yeah. person who's I buy my newspapers from the corner shop. Yeah. He's hardworking. Or the nurse, yeah. or, the, yeah. or whoever it is, whoever they've actually come into contact with. Mm. Oh, they're all right. It's yeah. the others. Yeah, <laughs> it's no. the others we don't like. Mm. Um, so you mentioned there on the sanctuary, um, the sanctuary movement, and here locally, um, raising awareness and making schools more welcoming places. Great, yeah. um, and. Um, Supporting the uh, the housing needs for the Syrians who are coming over. What other things have been done by the Sanctuary on Sea locally here? So we also have a, a, um, a Club the Sanctuary program, which we, huh. which has started with the Brighton Table Tennis Club. I mean, yeah. uh, to be very clear, to give them their credit, they came first, and yeah. we thought they're doing fantastic work. They are. Yeah. Um, we'll make them a club of sanctuary and encourage other clubs to be a bit more like them. Mm. Uh, if you don't already know about it, it's becoming. Say, yeah. it, and the Brighton Table Tennis Club is is becoming um, pretty nationally National, yeah. <laughs> famous mm. now. I think it is the biggest table tennis club in the country. I think it, with a thousand members. Um, and uh, Jeremy Corbyn came to visit it yeah. uh, when he was in Brighton um, in the autumn. And it's because they do amazing work, not just with young young asylum seekers and refugees, but. Uh, they're very good at making everyone feel welcome. Mm. So that means they have the they had the first, uh, they think probably the first in the world accredited uh, table tennis coach who has Down syndrome. Huh. So he's been coming quite well known too. Um, uh, they they work very hard at, at, at um, in encouraging people from the, the, the very uh, marginalised communities, yeah. uh, gy- uh, gypsies and travellers. Yeah. Um, and so that older people, 
Um, they have women's sessions. They're very good at making everyone feel um, included and welcome and uh, achieving the best that they can possibly achieve um, at whatever they're choosing to do. Mm. So that you get you know, Afghan kids who are, who are now coaches and training the, the English kids at, at table tennis. Mm. I mean, it's a really, it's a really wonderful model. Because I think it is, I think that what it boils down to is that if you have a club where everyone feels welcome and valued, mm. then it's somewhere that people want to join. And I think that's why they are now the biggest table tennis club in the country. Mm. And I think for for us, that's a bit of model a model for our city. I think yeah, the country might be a nice. Even idea. the country, <laughs> if it's somewhere where everyone feels valued and where they're at home and welcome. Mm then it's somewhere that everyone will want to be and it'll be a place that thrives. Yeah. So I think that's a good message for, for the government, which mm. has just published its national uh, integrate, communities integration strategy, mm. which still feel, which my first reaction to was, feels a bit like they need to be doing this, they need to be learning English. Right. Although it does have you good language in it about its integration as a two-way process but still it feels the tone feels very much you know the the, the communities have to integrate this mm. it's it's a community's integration strategy it's not a social integration strategy mm. it's not it doesn't feel like it's all of it it's mm. for for them um and and i think that something like the, the table tennis club shows us that you know, a proper integration strategy is about making everyone feel welcome and everyone doing their bit. What a brilliant story. What uh, other things have you got coming up with um, Sanctuary? Well, we've got our AGM coming up in, in about a month's time. Uh-huh. Uh, and so do uh, watch our, uh, our Facebook page, um, sign up to our newsletter on our website, and you'll be, we'll let you know about um, the date and arrangements. I'll put the links in the comments, but do you want to just say what the website is and the, where the people can find you? So if you, if you look for um, Sanctuary on Sea, you'll find our web page and links to the Facebook page. We're on, um, sanct- on Facebook as at Brighton Sanct. Great. And we're on Twitter also at, at Brighton Sanct. Yeah. So, so we're quite active on social media. And we try to use those social media um, platforms uh, not just to advertise or promote what we're doing, mm. but what other, anyone in the, in the city is doing yeah. who's, who's doing anything to do with refugees and migrants. So that's you know, our partners like uh, Bright Migrant Solidarity and their mm. fantastic work, um, again, housing uh, mi- uh, destitute migrants. Yeah, their th- good for them. For um, the Bright, Brighton Voices in Exile, who give yeah. casework support to um, to, to to Syrians and uh, and other. Um, They're also doing support for destitute destitution yes. support as well, aren't they? Uh, and then the Hummingbird Group, uh, yeah. who we've um, uh, helped fund set, to set up a, a global social club, which we're hoping to be a sort brilliant. Of a, a, so a model social club, uh, youth club uh, for for. Um, that will be well is welcome welcomes uh, young refugees, but also other young people. Yeah, I might grab Elaine for a future podcast. You should. She's been she's great, amazing. She yeah, is amazing. amazing work. She's yeah. a, a force of nature. Mm. Um, and going back to our AGM, what we're going to do is to, uh, I mentioned earlier in this conversation that the the, the uh, city has recently published this migrant needs assessment. And so what we thought we would do is take the findings of that needs assessment and say, well, what can we do? Everyone's got a role to play. 
uh, um, and there are various recommendations in the needs assessment uh, um, that we can take up and I thought we would get gather people together and say you know, what's the role of the voluntary sector in this mm. so that's a um, uh, and we were very pleased that, that uh, in that needs assessment the researchers uh, identified the sanctuary on sea as being an asset for the city yeah, uh, in this area yeah. so that we were proud of that mm. And I suppose the other thing that we're really starting to gear, gear up for now is Refugee Week, yeah, June. Uh, June 18th to 24th. Uh-huh. Um, and so at the beginning of that is also um, the, big, the great get-together um, in memory of Joe Cox. Joe Cox. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, a whole number of activities around that. The thing that we did um, in, on the Great Get-Together Day last year, which was really nice, is in my local park, uh, Blakers Park, um, which is, they have an annual summer fete, very English, you know, Great. tea, cakes, a uh, bit of jum- jumble, that kind of thing, yeah. the local choir, uh, kids from, from the school doing various perform- performances. In the middle of that, we had a, a, this, a Sanctuary on Sea stall, where there was food, Syrian food mm. provided by the Syrian community. Syrian food's great. And, and music provided by the Syrian All-Stars. And so for me, that really, that was the Brighton that I love, yeah. you know, the, the yeah. traditional English stuff, but also including um, the, the, the new arrivals, the refugees. Mm. So, so Refugee Week is going to, hope, hopefully it'll be bigger and better this year. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a little bit funding dependent, mm. um, but we're hoping to run our Crossing Borders Music and Cultural Festival again, oh, yeah. um, which is about uh, mixing up genres, uh, um, different kinds of music from people, performed by people from different parts of the world. Mm. Again, it's not, it's not just the refugees doing their thing, it's um, everyone uh, mi- mixing things up. So that, that if it happens, it'll be very... It will happen. This, I suppose the size of it will depend a bit on um, on funding. But we're hoping to have Jean-Paul Samputu, who's a, a famous Rwandan uh, performer who also does a lot of work on uh, peace and reconciliation. Mm. Um, we've got uh, the World Harmony Orchestra coming, uh, a group called Birdsong, who, who have a pr- programme of songs that travel. Um, we're hoping to have a a play about the Rwandan genocide and reconciliation afterwards. We're going to have Syrian drumming, kite making, and a fantastic parade that's being organised by Elaine and the Hummingbird Group, together with um, Same Sky, who do the the um, the lanterns parade in in December. Mm. Uh, and at the moment, they're, they're building these amazing, huge hummingbirds uh, to to to, to uh, carry in the parade. So that's going to be on twenty fourth of June. It's really exciting. We're really Pleased that the the dome has offered us their their space, the whole oh. the, the dome uh, for free. Good for them. The mm. dome and the museum this year, mm. so it's pretty exciting. And all that stuff's happening in Refugee Week, yeah. yeah, yeah. And there'll be more. There's, there's always more. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, busy time and um, uh, uh, lots for people in Brighton and from around to get involved in. Um, and uh, I know that that's an awful lot of work. And I think I saw you. Um, doing some of that last year, running around. And I know you work very hard uh, on the Sanctuary on Sea and with all the other projects that are going on, Richard. So thank you very much 
For signing with Refugees, thank you to everybody for listening. Um, we talk to someone every week and make it available to download on Monday. You can subscribe on Podbean and iTunes. Download it, find it on our website. Please tell us what you think. You can email me, paul at refugeesupport.eu. We're also on Facebook, Refugee Support Europe, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, have a look at us. Have a look at Sanctuary on Sea. If you have any suggestions about who else we can talk to, please let us know. Thank you.